Welcome back to another episode of the Basketball Podcast here on the Basketball Podcast Network. It's Jeremy Brennan here, and today we are talking Memphis Grizzlies on Grizzlies Week here at the Basketball Podcast. And today I'm joined by the host of the Grizz Weekly Grind, our sister podcast here on the Basketball Podcast Network, Mr. Pete Peranica. Pete, thank you so much again, and how are you today? I am fine, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. I love asking that question the second time because I record these both back to back and I asked <laughs> you that the first time and, you know, but it's good to hear that you're still doing all right. It's minutes. still doing fine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but we are continuing our conversation, the story of the Pau Gasol years in Memphis. So we, we picked up, we pick up the story after the 2005 season, the Grizzlies make their second straight playoff appearance yet they get swept yet again in the first round. But 2006 is a very different year, and arguably it's the best team in the Pau Gasol era. This team is featured on NBA 2K, and they have for the past couple of years because they're a defensive juggernaut. If you love playing defense, you'll like this team. And this team was second in the NBA, at 101.6 in their defensive rating. They allowed the fewest points that year. The offense needed some work. They uh, offense was 27th in points that year. But the defense, this team rode on defense. And, you know, Pau Gasol was an all-star this year. He ascended into an all-star, averaging 20 points a game. Pete, what is your favorite memory of the 0506 team? In cover, I just think, I just, I just think that that they were good. They were fun to be around. Um, you know, some of the games weren't terribly uh, exciting when you're, you know, winning eighty-eight to eighty and, and and things like that. But you saw a team that defensively was on a string, which in the NBA is is I don't want to say it's rare, but that's what you aspire to. And the fact that they should, could be such a clockwork operation in in defending was was exciting. Um, again, offensively, it was yeah, it was it was a bit of a struggle. But the fact that they were able to play as well as they did uh, that was it was just exciting. And it was like okay, we're going to get back to the playoffs, back to the playoffs, back to the playoffs. This year is going to be different. Mm-hmm. We're going to win a playoff game, maybe win a playoff series. Um, but it was it was just it was just a good strong defensive performance throughout the year, and it was enjoyable to watch. It was it was a defensive basketball team that was enjoyable to watch, which I, to some people may sound like an oxymoron, but it, they were just a very very skilled defensive team. Mm-hmm. Now, personally, for me, I can enjoy high scoring offenses. Like I I enjoy those, but I enjoy more watching defensive teams. Honestly, like. The 04 Pistons come up as a real fun team watch me just because they are super like I like when they play just straight down physical defensive stopped basketball. It, it to me, that's what I grew up on. I, I, I played I didn't play a whole lot of basketball, but I played soccer growing up. I was a defender. So defense for me is far more valuable and far more exciting than offense. But you know, there's a lot of talk about teams, especially in blue-collar cities, that adopt this physicality, uh, that that adopt like an attitude that their city enjoys. 
Is it safe to say that this team did that with Memphis? It did it, and and it became even more pronounced as we get closer to the to today with with Tony Allen and the core four and, and the grit and grind. Which, oh by the way, I think the uh, was it the the tenth or fifteenth anniversary tenth uh, anniversary of his uh, his uh, all hard grit and grind post game interview. I think mm-hmm. is is coming up this week. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you reference the Pistons, and and the Pistons have always won in their most successful years by being a, a, a blue collar, hardworking team. And Memphis is a little rough around the edges and they appreciate uh, anybody who takes a lunch bucket to work and gives you, you know, eight hours of hard work for eight hours pay. Uh, and I think that was something that Memphis could relate to. You know, we've been talking about Pau Gasol and I, where there might've been a bit of a disconnect is that, you know, Pau came from a life of privilege with two parents that were in the medical field. And in fact, Powell even went to a year of medical school before he decided to be a professional basketball player. And so, you know, Powell Gasol represented Memphis, but, and he lived in Memphis. His family was in Memphis. His brother went to high school in Memphis, but there was a little bit of a disconnect because, you know, Powell was not rough enough around the edges, I guess, but, but that defensive team certainly embodied the spirit of Memphis, no doubt. I mean, what I challenge people to do, look at Pau Gasol when he was a rookie, and then look at Pau Gasol when he left Memphis in 2008. And you can tell there's a bit of a difference. Maybe it's just a, I don't know, it's a kind of a thing. And also, I guess with Marc Gasol too, you look, at, you look at guys when they join Memphis and then when they leave Memphis. And I think you can somewhat see that rough around the edges kind of mentality, and they embrace it. But also, I guess... You know, you're the expert, Pete. So I want to, I want to take your word for it. And so, I mean, the, but also, Pal, let's talk more about Pow because this was mm-hmm. his at this point in his career, statistically his best season. So, what about Pal Gasol's game improved or made him that much more dangerous in 0506 than in his previous years? I think that Pow played with a little bit more of an edge. Mm-hmm. You know, we we talked about in, in the previous episode that there was a stereotype that European players were soft and, you know, Pau had continued to work on his body and develop. I still laugh. Not that we can go to the press room anymore because of COVID-19, but outside the Grizzlies press room, there is a picture of Pau holding the rookie of the year award. And he looks like he's about 12, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, short cropped hair, skinny arms, no muscular definition to speak of. And, then you then you go back to you know that 06 season and you see where he really has hit the gym and he really has done more physically to develop himself and to develop his game and so that he could go in the post and he could play tough and i remember a game that we played against Dallas in the regular season and there was so much talk about well you know Dirk Nowitzki's been such a much better european player than Pau Gasol and we were in Dallas, and in those days, you didn't win in Dallas very often. And Powell just went and kicked Dirk's butt, and you know that was that was one of my favorite moments of, of that particular season because you wanted Powell to be mean, but mm-hmm. I don't think he has a mean bone in his body. I mean, this is not who he is. And 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 people would compare him and with Kevin Garnett, and Kevin Garnett was mean. On the court, he was mean, and he talked trash, and he evoked this sense of, I am the baddest man on the planet, and get out of my front yard. Mm-hmm. And Powell wasn't that way. 
Um, but he had to kind of develop an edge and still Pau's still one of the kindest, sweetest people you'd ever want to meet. Mm-hmm. So at this point, this is arguably the best start the Grizzlies have had in their first 30 games. They're 20 and 10. You you get and there were some tough losses in there too. So they could arguably be better than what their record is suggesting. And the difference also with this team compared to the previous two was that they ended the regular season with momentum. They won, they had a seven-game win streak in late March. And then they won eight of their last nine to go into the playoffs as a five seed, the highest seed in Grizzlies history. And you go into the series with Dallas, you know, Powell versus Dirk. And what is the idea going into that series, Pete? Do the Grizzlies have a good shot here? Is this a little bit more of an even matchup? This is the four five matchup for, you know, if it matters, but what is the attitude going into this series with Dallas? Well, Dallas is a very, very difficult place to play and win. It's loud. Their fans are rowdy. Uh, Grizzlies historically haven't experienced a whole lot of success there. So the hope is, can you hold serve at home court and can you steal one on the road? Mm-hmm. Um, not impossible, but realizing it's going to be a tall task because you know Dallas was, was a tough matchup for the Grizzlies. Yeah, because that that Dallas team, I think more so of their 07 team that won 67 games, but this Dallas team ended up going to the finals. They came out of the West that year. So, and from what I remember from those 06 teams, you know, Dirk was at his starting to show his signs of being one of the best players in the NBA. And the supporting cast he had too was incredibly strong. He had Jason Terry, he had Josh Howard, Jerry Stackhouse played a big role on that team. So that team, I just offensively, Dallas was a problem. And I think it's kind of, you know, it was a matchup of who's going to prevail. The the strong offense of Dallas, who had the number one offensive rating that year. and Or the Grizzlies, who were the number two defense all year. And unfortunately for Memphis, the offense won out. Yeah, Dallas was just such a good shooting team, and Stackhouse had always been a prolific scorer, and, and Nowitzki you know, continued to play well. And the enduring memory of that series is you lose two in Dallas, like, okay, well, not unexpected. But then you come home, and game three, you really have an opportunity. And Dirk misses a free throw, and the Grizzlies give up an offensive rebound, and, and Dirk goes back and hits a three. And it was at that moment that – you really started to wonder if you were cursed mm-hmm. because by all accounts, the Grizzlies should have won that game. And I, I remember that is probably one of the most devastating losses I've ever called for the franchise because you were so close. Mm-hmm. You were so close. You played so well. You did so many things well in that game and you give up an offensive rebound off a free throw. And if I remember correctly, Dirk missed it short. It, it, it room service bounced right back to him. He hits the three, and and I remember uh, getting a takeout pizza afterwards and sitting around with friends after the game, and and it it was like a funeral. And it's like, well, you know, you lost a game. Yeah, but now you're down 0-3, and nobody comes back from 0-3. And so, you know, even though it was only the third game of the series, it felt like a death sentence and that you weren't going to come back from. And it was 
like I said, it was the most devastating, the most heartbreaking loss that, that I can recall in my years in Memphis. And that, that loss is probably the peak of the Pau Gasol. It, it's the, it's the on the way down of the Pau Gasol era in Memphis because they lose game. They lose game three. They lose game four. They're swept again for the third year in a row. And then that off season, there's a lot of change in Memphis. Pau Gasol suffers an injury at the FIBA championships and he can't play for the first part of the year, but the, they also make a questionable trade at the draft that year. They trade Shane Battier to the Rockets for the number eight pick, which turned into Rudy Gay. And what about that trade? Like, I remember, because I'm, I'm from Houston, so I remember that trade and we were like, why are we giving up the number eight pick in the draft? And, you know, Shane Battier, like, cool, but I wanted the pick. But how did Memphis feel about that trade? Because Shane Battier was growing into one of the the core people of that team. So what were your thoughts on when the Grizzlies opted to move him? It was very shocking. I mean, it mm-hmm. really was because he had been such a cornerstone of the franchise, had a restaurant here in Memphis at the time. Um, and you thought that Shane, so well-spoken, uh, might just be a franchise cornerstone and he might be here forever. I mean, Shane was never going to be an all-star headliner, but he was always going to be a solid role player, somebody that you could count on uh, to organize the defense, somebody that you could count on to take accountability for what was going on on the floor. And so, so that was, that was shocking, but it was, it was starting to realize like, well, we've made the playoffs three years in a row and we can't even win a game in the playoffs. Something's got to change. At some time, at some point, you, as a general manager, you have to decide. Okay, we need to start, if not blowing this up, we really do need to start chipping away at the foundation because where we're at is not good enough. We need to take another step. And can Shane Batty take us another step? Well, they felt that the number eight pick was going to advance advance things a little bit more than than keeping Shane around. And getting Rudy Gay, I mean, I know Shane Batty was a huge part of that franchise, but Rudy Gay was a scorer. So you're opting to give up defense for offense, basically. And I guess you're getting more of a balance. And, you know, Shane Battier was the perfect guy for the Rockets because they needed defense. They needed a perimeter, uh, a guy that could defend the best player on the opposing team. And and Shane was perfect guy for that role. And he had, you know, great years in Houston. He ended up going back to Memphis a few years back for their first playoff series win. So I I loved how that story kind of came full circle. And I think Houston and Memphis both, you know, had a bit of a grin in the back of their, you know, minds when he ended up winning championships with the Miami Heat at the end of his career. But this is sort of the end of the Pau Gasol era, at least the success of the Pau Gasol era, because the team in the following year, they go from 49 wins to 22. Mike Fratello is fired after 30 games. What was, what chain? So no pal, no Shane Battier for the start of the season. Could you sense the rebuild at the beginning of the season? Or was there a chance, you know, hey, maybe we can go back to the playoffs here. Maybe there's still something here. I think there's always optimism that it, that it is going to work out. But clearly it, it wasn't going to. Um, like I said, Mike Fratello can be a stern taskmaster. And at some point, and it happens with, with virtually every coach, except maybe Greg Popovich, you get tuned out. 
and not having pow, not having Shane, it, it just was, it, it really put some, some stresses really put some cracks in the foundation and, you know, Jerry West was not happy. And, you know, there's, there's a, a sense of urgency that, okay, we've, we have what we think might be a playoff capable roster and you know, we're losing games. And so something's got to happen. And like they say all the time, you can't fire the players. So you end up firing the coach. Mm-hmm. And then the next season comes 07, 08. Pau Gasol is healthy and he's playing pretty well. He's averaging 19 and nine, which is similar to his all-star numbers from 2006, but the Grizzlies are nowhere near where they no nowhere near the playoffs. And it's starting to become the time where dealing Pau Gasol would be uh, probably a beneficial move for the franchise, considering how much he can net you in return. So take for what you can recall from the Pau Gasol trade rumors and all of that, was dealing him to the Lakers the right move? The Grizzlies have had a history, and it started with the trade of Pau Gasol, and it continued, coincidentally, with the trading of his brother to the Toronto Raptors, that the Grizzlies have looked for a good landing spot for players that want to be traded. Mm -hmm. Um, When a player goes to the front office, and, you know, it's, it's all in the phrasing. Pau did not demand to be traded he did go to ownership and say, I would be okay if you traded me. <laughs> you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, yeah, I, I want to go. Um, but the Grizzlies wanted to send him somewhere because what Powell wanted to do, and he had had success on the international stage, and he wanted to have a similar type of success in the NBA world. And so, look, can you send me to a contender? If you're going to trade me, trade me somewhere where I can – win a championship. If you're just going to trade me to another lottery team, that really doesn't, that doesn't do anything for me. And, you know, Michael Heisley understood, okay, here's, here's a guy with integrity. He's telling me what he wants. He has been a great Memphian. He has been a great Grizzly. Uh, And so we're going to do right by him. And in that case, it was to send him to the Los Angeles Lakers, where he would have an opportunity to play for championships. And, and, and that's how essentially it was it was decided that they were going to send him somewhere where he could be successful because they respected him enough and they respected the way that he handled everything. It wasn't a I'm going to go to the papers and I'm going to tell the beat writer, look, I got to get out of here. And, you know, ownership is ownership is messing with me. And, you know, there there wasn't that level of distrust or or bad feelings and so that's why the decision was made okay if we're going to trade you we're going to trade you to uh, to a good team and they did with the lakers so in the trade february 1st 2008 so that was about a week ago 13 years ago the memphis grizzlies trade pal gasol to the lakers for a 2010 uh, a 2010 second round pick and pal gasol for kwame brown former number one pick ironically in the same draft as pal gasol Javaris Crittenden, who uh, infamously was known for the gun situation in Washington, D.C. Aaron McKee, who was probably past his prime at this point. The 2008-2010 the first-round picks. And ironically enough, and what might make this trade ultimately worth it for the Grizzlies, his brother, Marcus Gasol. So when they made the trade, I remember, you know, as a kid, that 
the Grizzlies kind of got slammed for this trade. They're like, oh, you barely got anything for your best player in franchise history. But ultimately, I guess in the long run, Marcus All ended up having a, a really good career with the Grizzlies. So what were your thoughts when the trade was made? And looking back on the trade, did the Grizzlies get enough for Pagasol? Well, at the time, you certainly didn't think so. I mean, Greg Popovich said that David Stern should have stepped in and, and voided the trade because <laughs> it wasn't a fair trade. Um, what people remember, they remember Marcus Gasol as a very pudgy high school basketball player who lived at McDonald's and was known as the Big Burrito because he was so pudgy and so overweight, extremely skilled, but, you know, was was soft, literally. Uh, and so that is like, we traded for Powell's fat little brother, really. And Kwame Brown, who, who certainly had underperformed his draft position. And it was like, well, we're, we're tearing this thing down to the studs right now. So, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But Chris Wallace, who was the general manager said, you know, he felt that Marcus all would be a good NBA player. He didn't go on to predict he was going to be defensive player of the year and win champ a championship in Toronto. But he said, this kid's better than a lot of people think. And uh, he was certainly right in, as events turned out. Yeah. So we're going to end this with a real loaded question. And I guess we're going to go quick because I know you don't got a lot of time, Pete. But who's more valuable to the organization, Pal or Mark? Uh, um, <laughs> I, you know, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to say Mark because he was there when the Grizzlies got to the Western Conference Finals where they really enjoyed some playoff success. And, and so for that reason, I'm going to say Mark, because the results in terms of playoff wins, both playoff games and playoff series occurred when Mark was, was with the team and he was able to take this team. Now he had a better supporting cast than Powell did, but Mark was able to help this team get to heights that they had never scaled before. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you don't have Mark without Powell Gasol. I mean, it's a, it's a very difficult question to answer, but you know, Pau Gasol is is the first superstar in Memphis. And, you know, now that Pau Gasol is retired, he, you know, retired about a year ago or so, is 16 going to be hanging in the rafters someday? It's not, it's not been announced, but I would imagine that it, that it would almost have to. Um, I think Pau is one of those players who, particularly here in Memphis, is better appreciated, more appreciated than he was when he actually played here. There was, and again, I go back to what I referenced in, in the previous episode, in, in Memphis there's a, this won't work here, or we're never good enough here. And that was kind of the, Powell's really, really good player, but we can't win any playoff games with him. So how good could he possibly be? And also, he was one of the first of the European players to really make a significant impact. And in those days... It was more of a novelty, and people looked at Powell for what he was not. He was not Kevin Garnett. He was not a slam the ball, scowl in your face, bad, bad you-know-what. Um, he was just a highly skilled European big man, and and the results weren't there from playoff wins. And so, But now that you look at the body of work and you look at what he was able to do when he paired with Kobe Bryant, and you're like, yeah, this guy was really, really, really good. And now I think people in Memphis who maybe did not appreciate him when he played here do have a deep and abiding appreciation for him 
beyond what he did in the community, which he was a tireless champion of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, great in the community. And people like, yeah, really nice guy, but yeah, could you win some playoff games? I think now people really understand with the long view what a great career he had and what he did mean to Memphis. Pete Pranica, everyone, put a real nice bow on this episode of the Basketball Podcast. He is the host of the Grizz Weekly Grind here on the Basketball Podcast Network, and he's also the voice of the Memphis Grizzlies on Fox Sports Southeast. So if you got a shot, you can watch him on the league pass like Hubie Brown does occasionally. <laughs> uh, you could also follow him on Twitter wherever he wishes to tell you, at at, at Pete Pranica, it's really easy. At Pete Pranica, nothing fancy about it. And the, the Grizz Weekly Grind, twice a week on the Basketball Podcast Network. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, Pete, thank you so much for coming on. I can't wait to bring you on later for the Grit and Grind years. Uh, looking forward to that in the future. So if you've got any other topics that you'd like to hear on the Passable Podcast, feel free to uh, at me on Twitter at Basketball. That's P-A-S-T-K-E-T ball. And you can follow me on Twitter personally at Jeremy Brenner. That's J-E-R-E-M-Y B-R-E-N-E-R. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Basketball. And until next time, rewind and be kind.